Welcome to Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair, and today Dr. Wiles and I have a conversation about Psalm 122, what shalom is, and about the people of God and Jerusalem. And we hope it is a helpful conversation for you in this time. Well, we are here doing Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair. We've got Dr. Dennis Wiles today. We're missing Katie. She's taking the day off mm-hmm. just to spend some family time, and that's a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we're thankful for a church that gives us mm-hmm. time off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's had a crazy week, though, every night. She has. All through the weekend, yeah. So, so it's a busy season it in our church's season. life, ramping up for spring, new that's budget right. year, getting new committees in place. Mm-hmm. So if you aren't super familiar with our church, we had you know deacon ordination council mm-hmm. last night mm-hmm. approved some new deacons mm-hmm. that will ordain next week but mm-hmm. it's we're in the midst of budget development mm-hmm. committee selection mm-hmm. chairs rolling off new chairs rolling on so it's just a busy time yeah. in our church's life so katie is taking mm-hmm. one of her vacation days and we are glad she is doing that even though she has to be in a meeting tonight she so. does have to be in a meeting tonight so, <laughs> so all good it is all good <clears throat> so I took a day yesterday. You know, it is what it we is. We heard you had a great day yesterday. It was a day. Cowtown Marathon. I ran the Cowtown Luke Marathon. Luke ladies and gentlemen. It's a good thing you didn't have to watch me try to sit down in this chair, and you will also not see me try to get up from this chair, because uh, it is a process. Yeah. Do, you, do you have one of those 26.2 stickers to go on the back of your vehicle? You know, I, I don't. Okay. Maybe I should get you one. Just, you just let your... Just that you did it do the time. I did wear my right. medal into the office building this morning. Oh, okay. Cool. So... Cool. It's in my office if you want to see it. Yeah. So it's not a participation medal, though. It's a medal for finishing. Finishing. I did not win. My grandmother asked me if I won or got in first place. My grandmother, I love her, does not know a lot about competitive running. Uh, but to win a marathon, in case you didn't know, you yeah. running is basically your full-time job. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, it's crazy. I yeah. did not win. We believe you won, Luke. You're a winner to us. I got a medal. Just that you finished. Dude, seriously. So 26.2 miles. Okay. But it was a good day at church yesterday. Just yeah. I watched the service. We had a sweet I day. love baptisms. Mm-hmm. I love getting to see baptisms. Mm-hmm. So it's, I love again that we have church that we live stream and people can come back and watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, sweet day. It was a very Full sweet day, day yesterday. But I had a lot day. of guests, new members mm-hmm. joining our church, mm-hmm. which is what we love to see. Mm-hmm. So good, mm-hmm. good day at church. Yep. It was good. Sweet day. Second Sunday of Lent. Easter season. Yeah, and we are continuing to walk through the Psalms of Ascent. We are. As we move through this season of Lent into Mm -hmm. Easter. Mm -hmm. And you preached on Psalm 122 yesterday. I did. And so... The third Psalm of Ascent. The third Psalm of Ascent. Psalm of David. Okay. How do we know that it's a Psalm of David? (laughs) Just in case, you know, someone doesn't know kind of what's happening in the Psalms. how, How do we know? What do we look for when we're determining who wrote a Psalm? Well, that is a great question. I'm, I meant to tell you, we're now sponsored by Perrier Lime. I don't know if we're supposed to announce that or not. I mean, I'm, actually, I'm just drinking that today. But uh, I was watching. If they want to sponsor us, yeah, that's right. by all means, Perrier. Well, I, was, I was watching Matt Homer's podcast last week, and and he has a taco company every week that provides tacos. His is called Tacos Al Pastor, yeah. which is a great pun. Yeah, I know. But um, we're not going to be sponsored by tacos. So uh, for those of you that don't know, I don't eat Mexican food. So that will not be any, will be, will not be a potential sponsor for us. But 
You know, what's interesting <laughs> about the Psalms, when you look at the Psalms, um, the ancient text, the most ancient text we have of the Psalms, include the little prescripts, which is quite fascinating to me. Yeah, in Hebrew, that's verse 1. Yeah, so in other words, when we look, like when I look at my NIV translation, um, in italics under Psalm 122, it says, A Song of Ascents of David. Well, that's a prescript or a notation, whatever. <clears throat> you know, sometimes it'll say a mascal or a song of Asaph or something like that. Right. But um, those particular notes are actually in the original text. Yeah, I have my Hebrew text open. Yeah, that is so, verse 1 in Hebrew. Yeah, so it's fascinating. So if you see that in your Bible, that's the, that's the notation that the, the collectors of the Psalms, which we do think David was probably one of the primary collectors you know, of the yeah. Psalms, um, lets us know sometimes who the author is, what the setting was occasionally. So yeah, and sometimes it's ambiguous if it David wrote it or if it's right. dedicated to David right. because right. in Hebrew it's <coughs> le David and that L participle means to by to, for by, or with. Mm -hmm. so, so it could be dedicated to David, mm -hmm. written by David. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times we credit authorship to David for right. those le David yeah. psalms. And like this one in the NIV, it just says of David. So, you know, um, we think David's the author here, and it's the third psalm in the Psalm of Ascent. And it, and it is um, it's kind of an arrival psalm, as I shared yesterday. You know, you're on the journey to Jerusalem. Here's one of those you would read as you made your way into the city. You know, your gates, your feet are inside the gates, the text says. And, and of course, David has written this one. So David, I mean, you can look at David one of, I mean, two different ways. On the one hand, David was at times a pilgrim to Jerusalem. I mean, he did right. make his way there, but then eventually he's going to live there and it's going to be known as his city, of course. And when you go visit Jerusalem today, you know, there's kind of the ancient part of the city. They still call the city of David, you know, so, um, you know, this was his home. This is where he chose to, to live. And of course, Solomon's going to build the palace there. They're going to build the temple there. And so it, it, it was a very special city to him. But this, to me, is the psalm of, of celebration, you know. We've arrived. Mm -hmm. We're in Jerusalem, and, and, and David brags on the city. It's almost like when you get to um, verse 3, I guess it is. He says, this Jerusalem is built like a city, closely compacted together. <clears throat> I think most of us read that with the sense that David is saying, this is a real city. You know, this is not just some rural village, you know, like our fishing village like Bethsaida or Capernaum or Nazareth. Yeah. You know, those were... Those were villages. This, this is, is New a York walled city. in. Yeah, this is fortified, sure enough, bona fide city, you know, and it's uh, it's got all the things you would think of in the ancient world that go with a city. And uh, this is where the tribes come to, to worship. David says this is where the throne is. Um, so, you know, it's a celebration, really, of the uniqueness, the beauty of Jerusalem. And as I, as I said yesterday in my sermon, I, I don't know how to, it's hard to compare it to a city in our culture. Yeah, you talked about how it's the spiritual yeah, heartbeat of Israel. It is. And we don't we don't really have that. I mean, I know that Alabama is thought of as kind of one of the central core, you know, geographical regions in the nation, rich in mm. resources, produces a lot of in incredible scholarships from all over the world. A lot of things are invented in Alabama, but uh but it's still not Jerusalem, though, right? People don't <clears throat> make many spiritual pilgrimages there unless you're from there. <coughs> but um, but no, we just don't have anything like that in our psyche because we don't, you know, we don't have that kind of geographical 
um, connection, if you will, to to a sacred place. Now, I would say probably to most Christians today, Jerusalem would still be viewed that way a little bit. It's, we, right. we refer to Israel as the Holy Land, and so it still has that feel, if you will, right. um, a little bit, if, if I can say it respectfully, as being uh, a, a place that is rich with spiritual meaning to the yeah. people of God, both Jew, I would say Jew and Christian, and, and right. Muslim. I mean, you, yeah, you, there is Muslim meaning in that yeah, place. You go there today, and you know, you go to the Temple Mount, and I mean, it's it's owned and operated by Muslims, you know, and so um, you have a mosque up there, you know, and you have the Dome of the Rock is there, and so it is a it's a holy place, you know, for for Muslims. I think that's where they believe um, Muhammad departs the world. So, of course, for the Jews, they believe obviously that's where the Temple was. So that's the most sacred place in the world, yeah. particularly for Orthodox Jews. And for Christians, it's the place where Jesus was crucified, you know, just outside from there. So yeah. it, and I think it's, that's, it's a city like no other, really. It is. Yeah. And that's something to be aware of, too, as you talked in your sermon. There's a, there's, you probably living in Arlington, there's a better chance you know a Muslim than you know a Jew. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it has special significance for the Muslims in our community. It just does. And it, and it, and it took on kind of a theological life of its own, so to speak, you know, in the imagination of Jewish theologians and their poetry. And uh, I mean, just like right here, you know. Um, um, and so uh, it's, it's hard for us to, to to grasp that as a Westerner and as someone who lives in the U.S. because we don't have anything to compare it to. We just have Jerusalem, you know. Right. So it still has a certain special place and its imagery is woven into eschatology you know we should talk about the new jerusalem so there's this whole connection with the city of jerusalem and just with the idea of jerusalem and the very presence of god on earth and right you know it's just uh it's just a very special unique place and um so like i said i've been there and and you know as a christian just visiting jerusalem i mean yeah i mean it, it has a certain uh it's just connected to our heritage as as Christians because this is where Jesus walked and taught and, you know, where he was crucified, where he was resurrected. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more foundational to our story. It's than usually that. important. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, um, so, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to highlight that for our people uh, Sunday morning that, that and particularly in this era when this was written and when the Jews were going to the Jerusalem for these pilgrimages, there, there was just nothing else like Jerusalem. It, it yeah. is the heartbeat, really. It's the center. It's the centralizing city of um, of their faith, and naturally with the temple there. And then by the time of Jesus, you know, Herod decided, uh, King Herod, that he wanted to, if I can say it respectfully, somewhat Romanize the temple. I mean, he wanted it to have the grandeur and the beauty, if you will, of ancient Rome. He had already done that to the port city of Caesarea uh, Maritime. So Caesarea, dedicated to Caesar, becomes this basically huge Roman um, city with uh, um, with a port that was built with Roman concrete, and you know has a Colosseum. <clears throat> I say Colosseum, more more of an amphitheater rather, and um, has a hippodrome, you know, for chariot racing. I mean, it it basically when you if you were welcomed into Israel at the port of Caesarea. You would have thought you were arriving in just a massive Roman colony, you know, right? You so Herod wanted the temple to have kind of that feel, and uh, he died before it was finished. But the temple was was basically accentuated in the kind of the garrisons around it, and you know, like when Jesus is in Jerusalem and 
he says something like, you know, one day this will no longer be standing. Well, they're, they're sitting there looking at these workers and putting these massive stones in place because it wasn't finished yet. It's a, it's a construction project, biggest construction project in that part of the world. And, um, and they're looking at Jesus like, so, I'm You're sorry, crazy. say what now? <laughs> you talking about this, you talking about this building? Um, and of course, you know, they had no idea that the Romans would come in in AD 70 and basically just destroy it completely. So, yeah. and it's, and it's been destroyed ever since. But, um, so it was, it was just, uh, Jerusalem had just such a, um, a, a role, if you will, in, in the life of Israel that you just, I don't think you could exaggerate it. No, I don't think so. And so mm-hmm. some other things that you talked about on Sunday, you mentioned that Jerusalem has its root uh, in the Hebrew word shalom. So right. that's the final kind of suffix of that word. Mm-hmm. It's shin, lamed, mem would right. be the Hebrew letters, um, which form the consonantal backing of shalom. shalom right? um, so it's it's a city whose foundation is peace. And right. I think in English, when we talk about peace, it is ceasefire. Right. Um, <clears throat> which I recognize is a tricky word to use in context right now. It is today, isn't it? But that's when we speak in English about what peace means. Mm-hmm. It is ceasefire. It's stopping conflict. Right. Uh, we even often talk about peace as we achieve peace through aggression or more conflict to get to peace. That's right. That's not what shalom is right. in Scripture. And so I was wondering if you could help mm-hmm. expound on shalom, what it is, what it means. Mm-hmm. I have some quotes that I brought, but I wanted yeah. to pick your brain. <laughs> well, I, I think that I think you're exactly right, Luke. We, we tend to associate peace as, as a circumstantial manifestation. You know, we, we look at our lives, and if everything around us is okay, and there doesn't seem to be any massive struggle or challenge, well, then we're at peace, you know, yeah. you, and you, you you kind of begin to associate peace with that external manifestation of your reality, when actually shalom is more of an internal word, you know, to me. It's more of an internal state of being. It's a manifestation of the presence and the blessing of God in your life. And so it's about flourishing and <clears throat> everything wholesome and the fact that that God has provided something for you. Now, I will say this. I think that as you start thinking about messianic era peace, like the prophets, I think I think the idea of shalom starts off as this internal manifestation, but they saw it as but in the age to come, encompassing yeah, the you, age to come. You'll everything. beat your swords into plowshares right, and your spears yeah. into pruning hooks. Right. Lions laying down with lambs, yeah. and and uh, so that whole idea of the manifestation of peace, but even at much deeper level than just the absence of conflict. It's basically restoring everything to God's will and God's plan. That's how I view shalom. It's it's like the yeah. plan and, and the will of God on display in God's creation. Right. You know, so it's all encompassing kind of thing. So yeah. So if I if I could share a few quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Watkin, who wrote a book called Biblical Critical Theory, if you like to read Nice and heady stuff. I'd right. recommend it. Uh, <laughs> Even the title makes you nervous, right? Yeah, but it's a great book. Um, he defines shalom as the webbing together of God, humans, and creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight. Mm-hmm. So this is mm-hmm. creation That's at beautiful. its most Edenic That's right. point of meaning and exactly. what it's supposed to be. Exactly. And then he talks about in this age to come, with the conflict we experience, that the world experiences, he says conflict is not the ultimate truth of the human condition. And there is a peace that is deeper than any violence. Mm-hmm. Though 
violence will continue to haunt all human societies in this age. Mm-hmm. So violence, conflict are going to be just part of what right. life is all is unfortunately. Life, unfortunately mm-hmm. in this age. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about the internal shalom, I thought about your sermon made me think of Philippians 4. Mm-hmm. And Paul writes, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, meaning it mm-hmm. moves beyond. Yeah, Even if your external reality is not mm-hmm. peaceful, there's a peace that transcends Correct. that. Correct. The peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's beautiful to me. And, and I think that connects to Jesus when he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Or when he says, in this world you'll have tribulation, take care of, overcome the world. I said, I'm saying this to you so that you will know my peace can be with you, John yeah. 16, And this is that Pax Christi, the That's peace right. of Christ you talk about, That's as opposed right. to the Pax Romana, right. which is... Which is power-based. Complex power, power domination. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. Rome's definition of peace will be a little different than our understanding of peace. And, and I think even the way Jesus accomplishes peace, you know, for the Romans, it was just a full expression of power, and it's almost like the Romans even used religion, if you will, as as a, a means of controlling the people, you know. Yeah. And uh, so think about that. The temples they had were expressions of Roman power and all these authorities of all these gods, and, and it was a way that they 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 communicated a certain system. Well, and you could worship system. whoever you wanted as long as you That's also right. worshipped Caesar. That's right. As long as you stayed in the Roman pantheon, you were good. And um, so Jesus... It comes and offers just something so different than his kingdom is so different than that, and it's 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 built upon the, the the kind of the if you will the return to the Garden of Eden, so to speak, this journey back toward the shalom that God offered at the very beginning to humanity, and and the restoration of God's creation and the display of God's glory, and I mean all that's on display in Christ. So He creates a whole new temple, the people of God. You know that's mm. what Jesus does. He 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 um he offers us a replacement, if you will. That's how I view the cleansing of the temple is usually referred to. I, I see Jesus basically saying the temple is no longer in effect. So yeah. his, his his actions in Jerusalem show us that, that the temple's era of relevance ends with him. And now there's a new temple that's arising, and it's built on him. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's alive, it's dynamic, and it's it is. It, it's a manifestation of shalom. It's an expression of shalom. It should be an ambassador for yeah, shalom. Yeah, as God's people, we're called to be shalom That's bringers. Right. That's right. So I love all of that, and I love how Jesus, to me, leads us there. I think Paul captures that in his writings. I think uh, Peter does the same. So that imagery of us now being this new building, if you will, that's been constructed by by Christ through His Spirit, it's it's just a beautiful picture, and it connects because to me the foundation of all of this is in our Old Testament. I mean, that's where all the imagery comes from. It does. You know? It's just rooted deeply in the Old Testament, which you know, without the Old Testament, we wouldn't understand that temple imagery. We wouldn't understand the priestly calling of Christ and our our role as priests. We wouldn't understand Him being the Son of David or the Son of right. Man. You know, so. The, the Old Testament is, is kind of the school that we have to go to, if you will, yeah. to understand all of this so that we can fully embrace the full expression of it in Christ. So it's, it's a beautiful thing to me. And I just love the, 
I, I like the fact that <clears throat> even many Jews today, when they greet each other, they will say shalom, and mm-hmm. it's an expression of a blessing. It's almost like the pronouncement of a hope, you know, right. for you. It's not just hello, you know. It's I'm hoping something for you. I'm and 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 I'm I'm expressing my desire for you to experience something really meaningful and powerful. And uh, my wife has used that for many many years. And whenever she says goodbye, you know, she closes out an email. <clears throat> More often than not, it's closed out with shalom, mm. and that's her wish for you, her blessing on that's your beautiful. life. You know, so yeah, it's shalom is a beautiful thing. So okay, and we're supposed to pray for it. You know, what's interesting is in this text. And why would it surprise me? David says in verse 6, pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Well, yeah, Jerusalem is at the heart of the community of Israel. It's the it's where the ultimately, I mean, I would say the tabernacle, the house of God was already there during David's lifetime. Um, his son, of course, will build the temple there. And uh, and it will become the the spiritual, theological, economic, political capital of Israel. And David says, hey, pray for shalom. Yeah. Particularly in Jerusalem. Well, that, that made perfect sense to me as uh, as the people of God praying for Jerusalem as, the, as they should. Yeah. So as we think about how we come to understand Jerusalem mm-hmm. and this age of conflict that mm-hmm. we find ourselves right. in, you briefly talked about this on Sunday, but I was wondering if you would want to get more into it. I'm sure people in our church have questions. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference? And again, we're about controversial, perhaps. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> controversial. Is there a difference between Israel, the nation state, mm-hmm. and Israel and scripture? Yeah, right. Um, well, <coughs> sorry. Um, well, yes, of course. Uh, and, you know, I think probably what I would say, just preface it all, you know, when you when you look at the state of Israel today, um, I think most people will know this, the, the, the political entity today that we know as Israel, um, obviously was created by the Allied powers at the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. And um, so think about that era. Think about what had happened, you know. Yeah. I mean, the atrocities of World War II um, and the Holocaust and... Um, and so when Nazism is defeated by the Allied powers, which it, it, was, it was just such a manifestation of evil, um, so the question, I think, for the Allies was, okay, now what do we do? How do we rebuild Western society, or what is this supposed to look like, if you will? And so, you know, they had to, had to make some allowances. I mean, for example, you know, you, you've got two primary allies, which sounds kind of remarkable today, Russia and the U.S. Now, obviously, Britain would have been our biggest ally, of course. But in terms of sheer numbers, though, of soldiers and somewhat of a hatred of Nazism would have been the Russians. So it's kind of fascinating that we were two giant allies in World War II, you know. And so um, you can have Stalin and and Roosevelt making a plan together, you know, on the phone with each other. So, yeah, it's just fascinating how it's all changed. But a part of the of their decision was to somewhat divide the spoils, if you want to view it that way. So even down to the point of dividing the city of Berlin, which was a fascinating decision if you think about it. You know, you yeah. take this massive city in Germany and say, okay, tell you what, from here eastward, we're going to let this, the Russians have control. From here westward, the Americans will have control. What, a, what an interesting decision that turned out to be. And so oh they had to goodness. build a wall right down the heart of the city, 
you know, to divide it. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sitting in judgment over all that. I'm just saying it was just, I look at it and think, wow, what a, what an interesting decision, you know, right. that must've been um, for them. Well, then the question was, what about this, you know, this land that's been disputed for so many centuries uh, in the Middle East? And the allies said, look at the, look at what's happened to the Jews during this period of time. Yeah, in Europe. So we need to provide them with a homeland, a place where they can return to. Um, now, there were already Jews living in that part of the world, obviously, right. but still. And so they decided to... But post-Ottoman Empire invasion, yeah. most of the Jews from that region Dispersed. had migrated That's into right. Europe. <laughs> That's right. You probably, could, you probably could argue that maybe the most ancient connection in terms of just lineage of Jews might be even in Rome, to be honest with you, you know, because the Jews migrated to Rome so early and they've been living there ever since yeah. the first century. So Rome might parallel Jerusalem or Israel with the, you know, the contention of who's got the longest lineage of, 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 a, of a population of Jews living in, in right. one region. But regardless, so the decision was made to reestablish the nation of Israel. So 1948, that takes place. Rome has had, speaking of Rome, has had an interesting history with Jews as well. Um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, unfortunately, at the height of its power, during the, well, really, not the height of its power, I guess, but as it was reclaiming its power, that's a better way to put it, in kind of the post-Reformation era, um, in the mid-1550s or so, uh, Pope Paul uh, the fourth, I believe, he decided the, the Jews are to be blamed for the crucifixion of Jesus. And so there'd been a population of Jews mm -hmm. living in Rome for centuries, like I said, dating back to the first century. And so he decides to section them off and place them in a, in a quarter, if you will, right next to the Tiber River, which was a terrible place in Rome at the time. They didn't have the embankments they have now. <clears throat> so the Tiber flowed, overflowed all the time, and it was uh, dank and just, just you yeah. know, and no clean water and all that. So he basically forced all the Jews to move into that quarter. Then he had a um, actually just a, a, a fence, if you will, built around it, um, actually a wall, um, and so all the Jews in Rome had to live inside that community, if you will. And, um, and just and then over time, they instituted so many terrible things. For example, um, eventually every Sabbath, the Jews had to come stand at the gate, the, uh, and they couldn't leave. They had to come stand at the gate, and um, a, a Roman Catholic priest would preach to them every Sabbath <clears throat> outside of one of the little churches that was just outside the wall there. Mm. And then every year they had to petition the Pope, could they still live in Rome? Could they still stay there? So they had to go all the way to the Arch of Titus. And if you know anything about the Arch of Titus, it's at the upper end of the Roman Forum, and it's dedicated to the general who destroyed the temple. It was Domitian's brother. Mm. And inside the architectural frieze of the Arch of Titus is the oldest artistic depiction of the menorah. dates back to AD 80, and it shows... Titus in his chariot coming back to Rome and with all these Jewish slaves and they're carrying the artifacts from the temple and they're carrying the menorah. So it, it is an arch dedicated to the destruction of Judea, if you will. Yeah. So the Pope in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s would require the, the leader of the Jews to come to the arch of Titus, request permission to live in Rome again, pay a tax to live in Rome. He would then be turned around, and uh, one of the officials, sometimes be the Pope, somebody somebody he designated, 
would kick the man in the rear end, knock him down on the ground, and basically give them a blessing to live one more year in the Jewish quarter. Mm. I mean, think about this it. This is a people group with a long history of persecution. Correct. After the New Testament yes, ends. Just, just uh, you look at it and you think, what? All over Europe, yes. anti-Semitism is yes, rampant. Just, absolutely. Just pervasive. And horrific. Yes. And so, so again, you think about, <laughs> I mean, the atrocities experienced there. And so, um, you know, once Italy becomes a nation, you know, 1870 and... Um, you know, uh, Victor Emmanuel becomes the first king of Italy. Well, he just does away with all that. You know, he has the walls, the gates opened and tells the Jews, you can live anywhere you want to in Rome. You're Roman citizens. You've been here longer than most of these Romans have been, you know. So it finally ends in 1870. But that anti anti-Semitic spirit was still prevalent in parts of Europe. So anyway, so 1948, um, actually the Jewish community in Rome had a celebration at the Arch of Titus. Uh, once this, once the state of Israel was established, they all gathered at the Arch of Titus and they marched backwards through it. Mm. You know, and and the imagery is was for them. Ancient Rome now lies in ruin. You know, here's the Roman Forum, and uh, and Rome no longer has has power over us, if you yeah. will. So, um, so once they were granted that status, and then Israel became a secular state, which is what Israel is today. The nation of Israel is a secular state. It is. Yeah, it's a not a theocracy. Entity. No, it's a political entity. And um, and and I'm I'm very friendly toward it. It's our greatest ally as Americans in the, in that part of the world, and so we have a lot of um, affinity for Israel, the state of Israel today. And um, and they're our partner in things like democracy and democratic ideas and human flourishing and all kinds of things that we're connected to with Israel. And one of the challenges that the state of Israel has today is it is surrounded by enemies, and so that that puts. The nation of Israel today and the people of Israel today, in in a very uh, somewhat of a vulnerable position, in my opinion, because if you think about it, the na- the na- many of the nations around them, um, it's their intent to destroy them, and and that's a daily mm. um, reality. I can't imagine what that must feel like if you wake up every day just because you are a certain ethnicity and you live in a certain geographical spot. Pretty much everybody around you wants to destroy you. That's a reality that's so foreign to us. I mean, if we it woke is. up every day and and all of Mexico and all of Canada had declared war on us and was attacking us, or, you know what I mean? And but even that wouldn't work because we're so big, you know. But yeah. so I can't even imagine what the just the the psyche of a modern Israeli Jew must be like, you know, when you live in that kind of tense environment. And have for generations. Yes. And and there's so much blood in the ground. So my heart goes out to them, the suffering. Uh, there's not an anti-Semitic bone in my body. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for the fact that that homeland was provided for them because I think that was the right thing to do. But it's, as you know, Luke, it's created so, so many complexities because you had people living in that land who had been there for generations, you know, yeah. who weren't Jewish right. ethnically. And so they had to somehow be resettled. They had to figure all that out. It was, you know, it was, um, there's no easy way to do that. And no. uh, so that's created tensions that still exist and today. And it's important to remember, too, that those people living in the land, a decent number of them were Christians yes. who come out of the earliest wings of the Christian church. That's right. So you have a lot of Palestinian Christians. So it's just a, it's just one of the most complicated places in the world. So with all of that said, and as great appreciation that I have for the nation of Israel, the secular state of Israel, understanding all the 
connections we have to them as allies. All that's a given to me. But if you want to talk about Israel in the Old Testament and the people of God in the Old Testament, the descendants of Abraham as they're treated in the Old Testament, that's a different conversation than the secular state of Israel. Yeah. You know, those those are two different entities. They are. I mean, I even think about the original promise to Abraham, to Abram, mm-hmm. which is through you, all the all families the of the earth will be blessed. That's exactly right. And so and then a, the constant calling that you find in the scripture beyond Israel, beyond the borders yeah, of Israel. Yeah, the prophetic vision of all yes. family, all yes. peoples of the earth will you come to the it. mountain of God and the law will be written on their hearts. <laughs> That's right. Even God, God even says, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Yeah. For, for all the people. So, and we think that's a New Testament vision, yeah, but it kicks off with Abram. It's in the Old Testament. It is. It's God's plan. So it's it's like God's, God focuses his attention on Abraham or Abram originally, and then Abraham, and then all of a sudden through Abraham, the attention goes like this. It goes out to the entire world. And so the message and the hope of, of God for the world is through the Jews and so Exodus 19, you'll be a kingdom of priests. You'll be a holy nation. You're going to represent me to the whole world. So there was this calling, this missionary calling, that the, 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 unfortunately that Israel in the Old Testament never fully lived into. And, uh, but the promise of a new day coming when the Messiah right. would come, and that Messiah was going to be the one who would bring all of that. He, wasn't, he is the Messiah to the Jewish people, but he's also the Savior of the world. Right, and so when Jesus comes, well, then that vision really expands in in a powerful way. And Jesus says, "You're going to take me, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to make disciples of all the peoples of the world, all the ethnic. Everybody is going to be all ethnicities. Exactly, the idea. Everybody. So this is beyond. I mean, when Jesus says, "You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea." Okay, so we're in Israel, in Samaria. We're still in Israel. Despicable, but still in Israel. We're still there. To the ends of the earth. So the the calling of Jesus for his followers is beyond the territory of Israel, the the the, the geographical location of right. Israel. And so when I said Sunday morning, I'm I'm as I'm a new covenant theologian, and I'm not territorial in my theology or in my eschatology. That's what I was eschatology to say. being the, study of last things. That's right. Where we're all headed. Where where's this thing going? Yeah. Um. And so. You know, you, you have several views of that today. Um, but my understanding of the New Testament is, is that the promises of the land and all of that have already been fulfilled for Israel um, under the Old Covenant. That's how I would view it. And then when I, I come to passages like, like 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul says all the promises of God are now yes in Christ. Mm. Okay. Let's just think about that for a second. All the promises of God are now yes in Christ. That's Second Corinthians one. Okay, I got it. Okay, I'm I'm going to take that and go with it. <laughs> you know, I believe that, that's what I believe the Bible teaches. And so, my understanding of the land and those promises to the land have already been fulfilled under the old covenant. Have nothing to do with the new covenant. The new covenant to me is not land focused. It's not territorial. No. It's about the prevailing message of the gospel to all the peoples of the world. And so the the land of Israel today, the nation of Israel today, the city of Jerusalem today for me does not factor into my eschatology. It's there for its imagery. So it's not the new Jerusalem Correct. for you. No, no. The new Jerusalem is the new kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a pervasive expression of 
the ultimate conquering of all that is. Right. And to bolster that point, when we think about the new Babylon in Revelation, we aren't thinking of a literal Babylon right. located somewhere That's in right. Iraq. We're, That's right. We, it's we the enemy. symbolize that. That's right. It's the enemy. So apply that same hermeneutical lens to the way Correct. that Jerusalem gets talked about right. in Revelation. That's right. It's so not that's a literal it. geographic place. Exactly. Now realize that, you know, um, that the, one of the challenges we have in American evangelicalism today is that there was a certain theological hermeneutic that was introduced to the U.S., that, that just fit well, for whatever reason, into the U.S. conservative and just evangelical into culture. psyche, you know? And it's, it's, the, it's what's known by theologians as dispensationalism. And the idea that, that, that there have been several dispensations, if you will, and God has worked in each one of those dispensations yeah. of time. Right. And He's worked differently in all of them. And, and, and it, it's, it's like a... Um, it, it, it's a theological lens that is just overlaid on the biblical text. And uh, I, was, I was reared in that. That's what I was taught. If you're thinking you know? of like a pop culture version, Left Behind series would Correct. be a That's right. fictionalized version of theological dispensationalism. dispensationalism. That's right. There are tenets of dispensationalism that are fine, that, that, that I believe are biblical. But the overall perspective, I've rejected it as, as a true hermeneutic. Right. So the idea... That Israel, the children of Israel, the, the literal, physical children of Israel, of Abraham, are God's chosen people forever. And now we're living, the dispensationalists would say, we're living in kind of a, a suspended time, if you will. It's called the Great Parenthesis, where God is working through the church. But one day he's going to remove the church through the rapture, and then he'll get back to his work with Israel. And Israel once again will be the chosen people of God and the instrument that he will use on planet Earth. Um, well, I just I just reject that as a true hermeneutic. Right. Um, you know, I I believe that the church, we are now the people of God, and it includes everybody. There are Jews and Gentiles. Um, it's it's everyone is now a part of this who is a part of the body of Christ. God is working through the body of Christ today, and we are the instrument that He's going to use. And and I believe that is. That to me is clearly taught in the New Testament from my yeah, perspective. I mean, that's so, Galatians affirming that Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. Exactly, you know, and 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 so you know, uh, and even the imagery that's used in the New Testament to refer to the church, we're called the Israel of God by Paul. We're called the diaspora by Peter in First Peter one. Well, diaspora was, a, as you know, was a technical word just for Jews who lived outside of Palestine. And Peter takes that word and says to all the diaspora, all these Christians are living all over the world. I mean, we're we're the people of God. So when I see the challenge, admonition, the encouragement, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I start with the Old Testament. I believe fully what David meant was pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. The literal physical Jerusalem. Yes, this this is what is David our, would have had in yes, mind. This is our heartbeat. This is our home. We want Jerusalem to thrive. Amen. You know, yeah. I've been a Jew in that era and up to the time of Christ. Of course, to me, that would be a physical reality right now in 2024. Of course, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, literally. I'm talking about the city of yeah, Jerusalem. We want God to bring shalom to yes, the entire world. Absolutely. So Jerusalem is included in that. Right. And it's a troubled spot right now. It has been pretty much my whole lifetime, Luke. I mean, Definitely I think my back whole as life. a kid, you know, I'm, I'm, I didn't really understand it when I was a little boy, but I do remember bits and pieces of 
of the challenges in the mid 60s, you know, in, in Israel. Um, but regardless, yes. And so we stopped yesterday in the sermon and prayed for the peace of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, great the nation of Israel, because I believe we should. But that is not connected to my eschatology. That was not, when I think about the admonition for us today praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I would take that to be an admonition to pray for the shalom of the people of God, mm. for the church. We are that new Jerusalem, as I understand it. We are the Israel of God today. So we should pray for each other. We should pray for God's shalom to be manifested within the people of God and through the people of God. We're right. the emissaries of it. Right. And so that's how I would interpret that today. I realize that puts me in a little bit of a minority with some evangelical scholars. I'm okay with that um, because I know my heart in it. I know what I mean by it. And uh, But yeah, that's where I would point us to to pray for the shalom for the people of God. And to me, that would be the church. We're the new temple. We're the manifestation of the body of Christ. And and we're supposed to be colonies of heaven on earth. So we're supposed to be showing the world, here's what shalom can look like in a community. Here, here's how um, you can live in relationship with each other. Yeah, you don't shalom yeah. alone. That's right. You know, just like, um, as I said Sunday morning, you know, you, you listen to Ryan Hodges' testimony that he gave in, um, in, in, in that video Sunday just about how their life, he and Katie, has been enriched, blessed, they've been cared for in this body of believers. And, and then Casey Fagan gets up as our preschool minister and says, I'm new here, but I'm seeing that all over. I'm, it's not just Ryan right. and Katie's testimony. I'm watching you. I'm watching you care for each other. I'm watching you love each other. My family's experienced that. Our daughter has been dealing with, with breast cancer, and I've watched this church rally around her and walk with her and bring shalom to her family. They have, they've looked at very physical needs, emotional needs that, 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 that people in our church have felt like her children have had, and, and, and they've rallied around her. You know, they have brought something that that's what the church does. Well, that's what we're supposed to bring to the world. So I'm praying for that peace of Jerusalem for First Baptist Arlington. Yeah, it's the webbing the, together yes, for the of whole, God, whole humans, and all creation. Yes, may it be so. You know, so mm. uh, that's how I would interpret it. And uh, and that's why, to me, it's it's the, the territorial side of it. I have a deep appreciation for the Holy Land. I said that Sunday because of the story and what's occurred there and our connection to it from a spiritual historical perspective. Absolutely. But it doesn't factor into the future plan of God for me and my understanding of the New Testament. So, okay. Well, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> Well, I think that is a great place for us to end. So if you have made it through, thank you. And we're glad that you listened. We hope it was informative and formative for you. And we will be back next week. listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.